Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. What a beautiful morning. What an incredible job, worship team. I mean, it's just, it's such a pleasure to worship the Lord. Um, man, I, I'm just so encouraged by worshiping God. I don't know about you. There's just something about when we take that time to worship the Lord together. It, it's powerful. It does something. Amen? Amen. Amen. I, uh, it's been an interesting week. I was preparing uh, for this message and for this series as we continue our Meals with Jesus series. And I had a couple people message me this week about something kind of unique that was happening in Scottsdale. And uh, I, I posted a response online, and I thought our, our online team as well with, with Megan did a great job uh, crafting a response. But I thought I would just give the response of my heart to it today to you, is that you might have known there's something happening while worship, worshiping here. There, there's a satanic conference that's happening actually just up the road here in Scottsdale. And I was reading a little bit about it, and they said they want people to think, it's, it's, you know, it's very snarky in its tone, but they want people to think of Satan when they think of Scottsdale. And I didn't have the heart to tell them that people already do. Uh, <laughs> they just don't call it that. They call it greed and lust and addiction, and it puts on a pretty face, and it looks nice, but uh, we know what it's called, and this overt cosplaying as demons version does not faze me, because the reality is we here in the valley have been doing the work of Jesus and kicking the ass of Satan since we started, and uh, I'm not going to stop because somebody wants to dress up like the devil, but I want to go a step further and say that our mission is even to those who would be so hurt and lost and broken that they would somehow think that that darkness is the answer for their soul. And I, I was thinking about this because tomorrow's Valentine's Day, and St. Valentine was beheaded on the 14th, February, and he was really a powerful man of God who was put in prison for ministering to Christians. And while in prison, he prayed for the very jailer who would imprison him, the man who we would think in the world that we should mock and be ruthless against the people who are coming against us. He prayed for his jailer's daughter to receive sight, and she did. And on the day he was beheaded on February 14th, Valentine's Day, he left a letter for his execution to that jailer's daughter and signed it, Your Valentine. And I think that we've inherited a tradition of God's love letter to the hurting and broken. And so if we could do anything, though uh, my very feisty warrior side is alive constantly, and I love that the enemy does this, because if you want to kill the church, just make things, you know, you know, the banality of life and the mundaneness. That's how you kill the church. You make it too easy. If you want to inspire us, you make it too hard. But at the same time, my prayer would be that everybody would come in here wearing a suit, wearing tattered clothes, wearing horns, I don't care. But that my prayer would be today that we could pray together as we start this message and say, God, would you reveal your light? And like that, that you have signed a love letter and you have signed your Valentine, your love letter to the people of this city, even if they are so much in darkness, they think the answer is to worship Satan. So could we pray together as we begin today? Lord God, we thank you that upon our heart, you have laid the truest, purest form of love. That on the cross, you signed your love letter to us. 
and said, I love you so deeply that I have taken your sins to the grave. And so, God, may we be lights of that love in every circumstance, in every situation, to every people group. We are not phased by darkness. We are not overwhelmed by it. We are not dissuaded by it. But we are heartbroken over it. And we pray that out of heartbreak would come miracles and restoration. And, God, we know that when people think of the valley, they don't think of Satan, but they think of the banner of Jesus Christ. May we be a part of raising that banner here in the valley. In your holy name, all God's people said. Amen. Isn't the Lord good? Right at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, throughout the day, we can just reflect on the reality of the goodness of God. And, I, and I'm so thankful to be in this series and to be talking about what the Lord is doing. I was very thankful to baptize someone uh, this morning. It's just such a blessing to see what God does and continues to do. And uh, today I really want to speak to you on something that I believe will impact our lives as we begin to understand it. And you might have heard a message on it before, but I really want to encourage you, you might not have heard a message like this on it before. And so I want to direct you and direct your heart. Because we were talking about meals with Jesus, and we're going through the the book of Luke, and specifically we're going to be in Luke 6, but we're going to look at a very quick meal, a very small bite, but that is part of a very big theological concept in a very important uh, moment in Scripture. So in fact, I think we should just jump into it. So if you have your Bibles, crack them open to Luke chapter 6. If not, don't worry, the words will be on the screen. And uh, I'm actually going to read them from the screen because that's an ESV and I brought NIV up with me. Uh, so I'm going to read them from the screen so we can just kind of read together, follow along, all this good stuff. Great job, slide team. Uh, but Luke 6 verse 1 says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, the disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain. So it's rubbing them in their hands, but some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? It says, and Jesus answered them, have you not read when David, or sorry, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, now, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence. It says, the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. It says, and he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, meaning Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. That's a big statement. So th there's this controversy in this scripture where Jesus' disciples are walking through a field and they're picking uh, heads of grain. They're rubbing together and they're eating, you know, what, what comes out of it. And now this wasn't unlawful because it was standard practice for especially uh, Jewish farmers to not thresh all the way to the edge of the field, but to leave the edges so that people who were poor could come around and could eat from the edges of this field. It's a very common, it's in, when you go back and look at the Old Testament, God was putting in provisions for people who were poor. In fact, there was also a practice where people could go behind those who were threshing and just pick up whatever they dropped. And anyways, so they, they're walking through. That wasn't the unlawful part they had a problem with. The problem was that they were doing some form of what looked like work by picking grain and eating it. And the Pharisees say, no, that's, 
not lawful on the Sabbath. And now, if you're going to be with us through this Meals with Jesus series, you're going to see something consistent. As Jesus is constantly doing things on the Sabbath that the Pharisees say are not lawful on the Sabbath. It will be one of our most consistent themes is the Pharisees go, don't do that, it's not lawful. And then like your kid, Jesus looks him in the face and does it. It's like, don't you heal him, Jesus. Don't you, don't you heal? And he's like, healed, right? You know, it's like, got him, right? Get up and walk, right? That's like a very constant theme. Uh, and, and I want to explain why, because Jesus is not being disobedient. He's not being rebellious. He's not sitting. He's doing something very important. And it comes out of this title that Jesus ascribes, where he says, the Son of Man, which is him, is the Lord or is the master of the Sabbath, which is a big title. Now, in Western culture, uh, the, the title of, the, of Lord of the Sabbath doesn't sound like that big of a deal to us because the Sabbath isn't that big of a deal to us. And some of you might say, oh, yeah, it's because, like, we never rest. And the reality is I actually think culturally we probably spend a lot of time at rest, which is why your screen time says, like, four hours a day, right? We spend a lot of time not moving, but we don't spend a lot of time resting. But this is more than just a day off, the Sabbath. This is more than just not moving or sitting on the couch. There is profound implications, profound history of the Sabbath. In fact, so much so that to teach the Sabbath is basically to teach the history of Scripture and all that's happened. It, it is, uh, it's funny, I, I had a resource that I was going through, and I actually, I'll, I'll provide it online for you if you want to go click it, uh, go on our homepage, you can click it. Our, our team made it available for you. It's 50 pages that goes through in-depth every part of the Sabbath. But to tell and explain the Sabbath is really to explain the work of God. Uh, but the Sabbath is a big deal, and it was a huge deal to Israel. It was one of the defining features of who they were. They had two things that really set them apart, circumcision and the Sabbath. And so for 3,000 years, the Jewish people have done a faithful work to preserve the Sabbath, specifically to preserve from Friday night to Saturday night, no work is getting done. And so things have been added. You have the law, the Torah, then you have the Talmud and the Mishnah. You have writings about the law that described, okay, what is this work? Because some of it's described in Scripture. And then they've added, like, okay, well, uh, you can walk this many steps, but you can't walk this many steps. Or you can, uh, you can, you know, do this with food, but you can't prep food like this. So, for example, there are, uh, there's different kind of uh, ovens that won't turn on, that turn on. They're like set on a timer to turn on and cook the food, but you're not cooking it. It's like ready, but you don't touch the buttons. Like, it's very specific. To this day, all these things kind of happen. Uh, to preserve the idea of the Sabbath. And you're like, wow, that sounds like a lot. Like, you can only walk a certain amount of steps. You can only do this. But to their credit, it is one of the commandments, right? Like when you look at like the stone tablet, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Remember that old movie? You know, the Ten Commandments, it's on stone. I feel like if God writes something on stone, he's semi-serious about it. Just saying, as a rule. <laughs> and in fact, it's one of the lar longer commandments. Like it takes up more space. It's like don't murder. And then there's like 80 words about obey the Sabbath, <laughs> I'll read it to you. Exodus 20. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. Here's the, one of the commandments. One of the Ten Commandments. The Big Ten. Like if you had MySpace, remember your top ten? Important. This is God's top ten. <laughs> but more so, because it's the law. <laughs> Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's with you within your gate. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And then importantly, look at this part, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is one of the longest commandments in the Ten Commandments. And this commandment is actually repeated twice in the Old Testament, almost exactly like this. Obey the Sabbath. But what did, why? <laughs> Honestly, why is it such a big deal to obey the Sabbath, to take this seventh day rest? Well, I want to explain. Why is the Sabbath such a big deal, and how do we participate in it? Or how does God invite us to or command us to participate in it? So it starts with a couple things. It starts with the importance of the number seven. Somebody say seven. Seven. So seven is an important number in the Bible. It's a big deal. Because seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. Like the devil can have as many sixes as he wants. It's still not going to be as great as seven. Seven is about fullness. It's about completeness. Which honestly is a strong contrast to our world. Because we don't find ourselves resting in fullness and completeness often in our world. We find ourselves in chaos and in toil and in all, all kinds of work, right? We're, we're in that space of unrest. But seven and the seventh day is connected to this idea of fullness and completeness. And this really is rooted in creation. So if you go to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll have them on the screen so you can flip there or you can just stay right there in John chapter 6 or Luke chapter 6. We'll come back. But in Genesis chapter 1, we see the beginning of this rest. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, right, first words of Scripture, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The, what the writer is trying to show us here is that before God speaks, there is darkness and chaos. And that God is about to speak in light and order. Very important. Genesis 1-3, if we keep going, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And then I just want you to look at this phrase right here. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So God speaks into chaos and darkness and brings light and order. And then over the six days of creation, of the first six days of creation, God is about bringing life and light in and into the, the universe, right, of creating and building. He's bringing about order. He's putting an order to life so that life could flourish. We see land and we see animals, we see plants, we see all the things, the heavens, the stars that God is creating. And every day as he's creating, as he's putting order, as he's bringing life, every day ends with that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, which means I did that on that day and that day's over, it's done, right? 
Then there's the next day. But on the seventh day, something interesting happens. If we look at Genesis 2, verse 1, it says, The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, man had been created, all this stuff. It said, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Notice a couple things. One, God rests, and yet does God need, was God worn out? Or was it more than just like God was tired so he stopped working because he was worn out? No, God took an intentional stop and rested, not only rested from the work that was finished, but rested within his creation in the fullness of his presence. On the seventh day, God stops and rests. And what we don't see here is the phrase, there was morning and there was evening. Now, days have already been made, so days pass. But as an understanding of how creation functions, there's this eternal perspective where God rests on the seventh day, and the word rest there is Shabbat, of which we get Sabbath. He rests, which means to cease from. God ceased from his work because it was finished. So just to paint a picture, here we have the seventh day. A day with no end, when God's presence fills his creation, and this beautiful image of like the perfect creation, where the land is providing for all of God's creatures, humans are being provided for, humans have been set into the Garden of Eden to steward, there's a rest, but also there's stewardship happening, that's amazing how that works with the Lord, right? It doesn't mean sitting on the couch or else how could, I mean, Adam just got the job title of steward the whole earth and name all the animals, right? Big job, right? But there's a perfect dwelling in stewarding with God, presumably for forever, right? Eternally. Except what violates that rest, what destroys that rest, is sin. Is that Adam and Eve were placed in the garden with the presence of God to steward, to walk, to live in this space where God is resting from his creation, is dwelling. They're dwelling in the presence together. They're living in this perfect rest, this perfect Eden. It sounds great. Let's literally go there right now, right? It's just, it sounds beautiful and amazing, and God's presence is there, but then it is destroyed by Satan and by sin. Are you still with me? And so, the children of God reject the presence of God for their own pride, for human sin. And in rejecting the presence of God, they must now leave Eden because that's where, they, instead of being able to dwell with him in perfection, they are cast out, separated, because that's what sin does. It separates. And now that they're separated from God and from the rest of God, Scripture says that they have to work as slaves to the land. And you're like, wait, God made them slaves? No, sin made them slaves, because rather now from living with the perfect creation that was providing for all their needs, now they have to farm and toil and work in the dirt until they themselves become dirt. Right? That's what a slave to the land means, which is like if nature's not going to provide, you got to provide. You got to dig a hole. You got to put a seed in it. You got to wait, which means you're there. You're stuck for at least like 110 days until a carrot comes. Right? I mean, that's a long time to wait for one. I mean, you're going to be waiting a while. Right? 
until you yourself, after working the dirt, go back to being dirt because that's how it works in our human body. This is the tension of the world. That we were created for rest, but we are slaves and became through sin slaves to toil and chaos and death. You're like, that is encouraging. <laughs> well, let me give you something encouraging. The story of Scripture is that God wants to restore humanity back to rest with Him. That is the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is a loving God seeking a people who will be restored into rest with Him. God wants you to rest. People say, you know, Christianity is not, not about a religion, it's about a relationship. I'm going to go deeper and say it's actually about a rest. So God chooses Israel to give him the experience of ultimate rest. And he goes to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, right? My daughter was singing that the other day. And they're like, she's like, he only had a few. I'm like, yeah, but it's generationally. Right? She's like, he had one. Right? She's like trying to figure it out, right? <laughs> Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So the people of Abraham are called by God to bring about the promise of this rest. If it gets too hot here, will you turn on these AC units? I'm, anyone else warm? Okay, good. I'm already warm. It's already started the spring. Here we are. <laughs> Thank you. Give it up for Pastor Katie in those AC units. Doing the Lord's work. Let's go. <laughs> Amen. Bless up. Unless you put it on heat, in which case, you know, discipleship moment. Uh, <laughs> But what's amazing is that, uh, <laughs> or not amazing, but what, what's crazy about the people of God is that through famine they go to Egypt and they become slaves in Egypt. And so they're promised freedom from darkness, chaos, and death. But you know what comes with slavery? Darkness, chaos, and death. That's what slavery is. They're literally being ground into the dust by Pharaoh. But God is so good that he liberates his people from slavery. And we don't have time to explore this, but in that thing I'll share, you can go look. The connection between the work of God and the creation of the world in Genesis and the establishment of his rest and the work of God uh, to bring his people out of Egypt into the rest of the promised land is so profound to the point that they share terminology and words, that they, that they share experiences, that, the, that as God is speaking and inspiring scripture, it's like the most beautiful thing. People are like, oh, Scripture has, has all these problems. Like, no, it doesn't. It's actually profoundly, beautifully, intricately woven together. It's like if you open your hood and don't understand engines and say the engine has problems, that just means you don't understand it yet. But don't worry, you can, and you'll see that it's awesome. So God takes his people out of Egypt. He takes them out in the night, in darkness, out of darkness, and he takes them across the sea, across the deep, across the chaos, and he takes them out of slavery, out of darkness, out of chaos, and to the promised land. What is the promised land? It is the place of rest. The hard part is that when they get over the Red Sea, you know what's on the other side of the Red Sea? Not the promised land. <laughs> Tons of wilderness, like the kind of wilderness we have. See, in, when I grew up in Washington, people assume wilderness meant like trees. No, wilderness like this. This wilderness, like so much meaner, <laughs> right? The problem with the wilderness is it is profoundly dark. It's easy to get lost. Life is very hard. Have you ever seen those shows like Alone? 
Or like uh, there's one where, you know, they, they take people, they just drop them in the woods. It's like, welcome to Alaska. Here's a pocket knife. Don't get eaten by a wolf. Good luck. Some of you are like, I want to live that life. Do it. I would love to see it. Like, just film it. Send me the video. I'd love to see it. Because um, that sounds fun to me, too. Uh, but the one that's crazy to me is the one where they drop people. It's called, like, it's like naked and alone. And literally, they have nothing. They don't even have clothes. And they get dropped in. It's just, like, them and, like, a really... I don't, a camera. I don't know if there's a camera guy there. I don't know how that relationship works. You're just butt naked with some camera guy in the woods for like six months. Like, how does something weird not happen there, right? And because uh, the wilderness is wild, it's dangerous, right? Uh, it's amazing. It's beautiful, but it's also extraordinarily dark and difficult. That's why the people of Israel in Exodus 16 have been recently released from slavery and say, it says, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And you know what they said? We'd rather be slaves again. To which I would reply, bet. I bet you would not. But in the wilderness, God does something amazing with his people. Though they're not to the promised land yet, though they're not to the rest yet, he makes a covenant with them and invites them to start living like they are in the promised land. How? By following his example to Shabbat, to rest. And this is where we get the commandment. Obey the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is the covenant that God is making with his people. Are you still with me? The law is massive. And I know, you know, Pentecostals were hard on the law. We're like, the law was, but the law was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The law had a purpose. It was meant to direct people to God. It was to teach them how to be the children of God. And so the Sabbath was an important part. God says to his people, listen, on the seventh day, stop your work. Shabbat. Rest and enjoy God's good world. You can't do it every day because you're in the desert. Y'all are going to die. But on that seventh day, rest. Take a day to live as if that ultimate rest has come, remembering that it will. It's more than just a day off, right? It's doing something in the heart. Remember. Remember that the rest will come. But what I love about the Sabbath is it's not only a day off every week. The Sabbath is actually one of seven. See, here's this number again. Seven festivals of Israel practiced every year. Here are the seven. Sabbath, Passover, first fruits, weeks, trumpets, atonements, and tabernacles. In fact, here's a little chart I have for you. And you're going to notice a couple trends. One is the word seven. Okay? Sabbath, seventh day. No work. Passover and unleavened bread. Uh, it's all based off the lunar calendar, which is a cycle of seven anyway. It's not important here. But one day plus seven days, no work on the first and seventh day. First fruits day after the seventh day. Thank you, the three people with me. One day, week in Pentecost, seven times seven plus one day after Sabbath, no work again. Trumpets, wh how many months? Which month? Seven months. First day, one day, no work. Day of Atonement, seventh month. One day, no work. Tabernacles, guess what again? Seventh month. And how many days? Seven days. God is a big fan of seven. There's rich symbolism in this. All of this that God is using to teach us, to teach us people about something that's going to come. Right? This is how you teach a people who don't, I mean, how do you teach somebody to live as a child of God? You give them rich symbolism that begins to express kingdom principles. 
So like tabernacles is a good example. The Feast of Tabernacles. In the Feast of Tabernacles, there's the light and there's the bread. And the light was set to burn all night. And it was in a... So just tell me if you know Jesus, if this sounds familiar to you. It was a symbol of the eternal light to light up darkness. Then there was the bread. It was, the bread was a symbol of the eternal covenant, an eternal relationship between God and Israel. So it kind of makes sense when Jesus broke the bread and said he was making a new covenant with the people. Turns out Jesus knew what he was doing, right? There's all these beautiful things happening that God had created, that the Old Testament is not a chaotic mistake. It is a perfectly ordained and ordered system for God seeking to do a redemptive work in his people because it turns out God loves us that much. Every seven years, the people of Israel were called to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. Every seven times seven years was the ultimate seven-day rest called the year of Jubilee. Somebody say Jubilee. That's a good word. That's like the super Sabbath. Does anyone here, do you ever have family reunions? Like you get together as a family, do holidays. Those are so awesome. And then there's like the one epic family reunion, that one where like Aunt Carol gets everybody the same shirts. They're all bright neon. It's like somehow she got a deal from Gildan. It's like, you all got any boxes in the back? And that's what they are. And they're like, they're like a Stanley family reunion, like too legit to quit or some dumb phrase on the back, but it's so perfect. So perfect. You're like, thanks, Aunt Carol. Right? And it's like everybody's there. It's a huge party, right? It's a huge celebration. There's like cousins you didn't even know existed. They come wandering in. You're like, who are you, right? Because there's something about this one big event where everyone is celebrating. That's the year of Jubilee. And on the year of Jubilee, if you made a poster for the year of Jubilee, it would say like year of Jubilee, like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Like you paid for the whole seat, but you only need the edge, right? And it'll be like year of Jubilee. And it'll say like underneath, all is forgiven at the Thunderdome, right? <laughs> Whatever is but it's like, all is forgiven. That would be the subtitle of the year of Jubilee. Because on the year of Jubilee, all is forgiven. If someone lost land, it goes back to the original owner. Couldn't pay for it, came and took it, lost the farm, goes back to you. Seven times seven. If you were a slave or an indentured servant, you went, you were released. You had sold yourself into slavery because you couldn't pay your debts. You said, well, I'll work for you, and, I'll, and, I'll, and you'll be my master. And on that day, you are free. Your slavery is released. Have any debt? It's gone. Released. Covered. Some of you are starting to put the pieces together. Proud of you. On the year of Jubilee, debts are wiped away. Slaves are released. Oppression is broken. Freedom is celebrated. It's a celebration of what God will do for eternity. And in the promised land, they come in, you're like, all right, we're ready to jubilee, y'all. Uh, but they don't jubilee. They juba don't. And they do a lot of sins. And they don't follow God. And because they reject God, just like Adam and Eve, they also reject his rest. They reject his presence. They reject his rest. And so in losing the rest, they're sent as exiles, and they're slaves to oppressive nations. And what happens in slavery? Chaos, darkness, death. The very thing God came to bring rest for, they were back in. 
And so God would send prophets to say to them, listen, one day there will be the ultimate jubilee, the ultimate year of the Lord's favor and freedom, and you will receive the ultimate rest. And one of those most famously proclaims this is Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 61 very famously declares the year of the Lord's favor, meaning the year of jubilee is coming when you will receive an ultimate rest. I know you are in darkness, chaos, and death, but an ultimate rest is coming. And I want to read that to you today, but I don't want to read it to you from Isaiah 61. Instead, I want to read it to you from Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you when Jesus reads it to the synagogue. Verse 16, it says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. It says he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah right here. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, for us as believers, we might say, like, wow, that sounds neat. That would have been one of the most profound things you could say to a Jewish person. Hey, the most important day in the history of our nation, I'm fulfilling that. What? Like, dude, we went to school together. Yeah, I know. I'm fulfilling that. It's fulfilled now, today, here with me. That would have been mind-blowing. You know the thing that defines us? Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm fulfilling that. In fact, I'm Lord of it. What Jesus is saying is, today has come the year of Jubilee, has come true freedom. The seventh-day rest will come through me. This is why Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. It's because Jesus confronts the chaos and darkness that's overcome the world. It's because through Jesus and through him, light and life has come to the earth. He liberates us from sickness and demonic oppression. Jubilee meant debts were forgiven. Jesus came to pay our debt, to take it upon himself that we might be forgiven. Jesus was what the Sabbath was preparing the people's hearts for. He came so that we might have rest in him. See, the problem with the Sabbath in this moment is that the Jewish leaders had not made the Sabbath about rest. They had made it about—you can pick that up, don't worry. They had made it about religious work. In the Torah and the law, it was described. But in the Talmud and the Mishnahs, on the addition of practices, it had become all of these added things. And it was so concerned about observance of the Sabbath that they were missing the opportunity of the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was meant to teach the people something crucially important about the love of God. See, Jesus has not come to fight the Sabbath, to rebel against the Sabbath, to destroy the Sabbath. He becomes to restore the Sabbath to its created intent and to fulfill it, just like he does everything else. Prayer, giving, fasting, charity, holiness. You've heard it said, blank, I say unto you. Sermon on the Mount. And this is why in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen? Jesus wants to teach us something through the Sabbath because God teaches us through the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to teach and instruct His people about how to be the children of God. So what does the Sabbath teach us? Let me give you a couple things. Ready? Ready, okay. The Sabbath teaches us to rest from chaos. You're taking notes. I just want you to write that down. The Sabbath teaches us to rest from chaos. In the beginning was chaos and darkness, and God brought what? Light and order. In the wilderness, there was what? Darkness and chaos. In slavery, there was what? Darkness and chaos. In Israel, when Jesus comes onto the scene being oppressed by Rome, what is there? Darkness and chaos. Jesus came, not only in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, to the darkness and chaos in our own souls afflicted with the weight of sin to bring peace and light. That's why John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples, as he begins to prepare them for him leaving and, and returning to heaven, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is so important. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The world is a place of chaos. Jesus is where we find rest and peace. What I think is crazy is, you know, as a nation, we're one of the most wealthy, successful nations. And yet, if we did a poll of this room, I would be confident in saying 50% of you struggle with anxiety. Like, I, I would put money on it. Also, my mom's a therapist, so <laughs> she tells everybody I meet with has anxiety, right? We might go up to 75, maybe 75%. I think I still might be confident. I think I still might take the over-under on it, right? How? I mean, we have everything. I mean, some people do. How are we so anxious? Because we begin, as we become more worldly, to stare more at the world than to rest in Jesus Christ. But through Jesus, there is hope and healing. That's how the relationship with him works. And as we stop leaning into the chaos, as we start leaning into him, we receive his rest. And I just want to encourage you today. Some of you, God might be saying, it's time to Shabbat. It's time to stop and rest. To cut out the noise, to turn off the news, to put down the phone, to get into the word, to get into worship and experience the rest from chaos. Worship is deliverance. The word is truth. And some of us, we need to stop. We need to not ignore the hurt of the world, but we need to shut out the chaos of the world that is trying to steer our heart and be directed and led in Shabbat, in perfect rest with God. Second thing, are you still with me today? Still with me? Everyone's with me? Gabe, you still with me? You good? We're good? You're on it? Are you ready for the game? Just call that. <laughs> Second thing, just for Gabriel here this morning. The Sabbath teaches us <laughs> to rest from our toil. I like the word toil because it just, like, it's different than work. I don't know what I mean. Like, it is like work, but it's like, a, it's just like a straining. When you think of toil, you're not thinking like, I'm building toys, right? <laughs> it's just something about it. It's like a straining and a striving. Uh, I don't know about you, but I actually, uh, I love to work, and I love to, like, work with my hands. I, li I like to be busy. People say, like, well, I just think you're so busy. It's like, yeah, aren't, aren't we all? 
Like, isn't everyone busy? Like, we're all, we all got something going on. And so, you know, we have to be very intentional about the time. I've noticed, like, as I've worked in ministry, one of the things I struggle with is that I technically work for God. People are like, is your boss going to be cool with it? I'm like, I don't know. Let me go check. You know, the... <laughs> But what's hard is that you can begin working for God and trying to earn salvation. Anyone ever struggle with this? Like, because you value a sense of duty and work, all of a sudden you can find yourself not working out your salvation, but working for salvation. The difference is like a scripture tells us in Philippians 2 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I think all the time when you're like lifting weights and you hit like a weight or a level that you're like you're new to or your arms are just beat or your legs are beat and you'll get that like tremble. You know, that, that like shake, and you're like, hope no one's looking at me because I'm shaking in the gym. You know, it's like, here we go. I'm the only one who sings who work out. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> just that's probably why they're looking because I'm singing. Uh, like, you're going to be fine. <laughs> um, but you, Because why? Because you're reaching something, you're stretching, you're growing, uh, you're wanting more. There's a breaking down so there can be a building up, right, that's happening in that space, right, that, that stretching is important. But many of us, we cross from working out our salvation to working for our salvation. Let me give you a good example. Like, I'm not enough. I won't be enough. I have to do this. I have to earn it. I'm a failure. Seeking perfection rather than pursuit. Some of these ringing. And so often we can live in this space of toiling for our salvation. See, the, ta the Sabbath teaches us to rest from our striving, to rest in the truth that salvation is secured by Christ and Christ alone. Ephesians 2.8, for gr by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. I love this. When God rested, it was because, Scripture says, when it was finished. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Some of you need to hear today, stop trying to finish what Jesus already finished on the cross. Just rest in the work done on the cross. Stop trying to complete what God has already finished, that God has already died for. Like, God has already died your, for your sins. Stop being such a martyr for him. Stop being in this space of trying to earn it and prove it. Yes, if you need God to do a transformative work in your life, amen, have him do it. If you need God to convict your spirit because you're in a continual pattern of sin that you know is sin, and yet you continue in over and over and over, yeah, have him convict you. Amen. The work of the Holy Spirit is good. But it begins with the present reality of... I must rest in the fact that God loved me so much he gave his one and only son for me. And if you don't start there, everything else will be chaos. And sometimes you just need to stop and you need to come into worship and just be like, that's why I lift my hands. God, I just give you everything. I'm not striving. I'm not toiling. I'm just resting. Are you still with me? Okay, we're cranking. Okay. The Sabbath, this is important, teaches us to hope in the future. The Sabbath teaches us to hope in the future. You know, someone asked me uh, a, a little while ago, they said like, oh, you know, like, how, how do you feel about like tattoos and having all these tattoos? Like, I don't know if I could ever like pick something that I wanted forever. And I said, oh, I'm not worried about that. They said, why? I said, well, I only got like maybe like 40, 50 years left on this earth. So in reality, I'm, and I'm going to live forever in, in heaven, this body's temporary. So these are just temporary tattoos. 
right? At the end, they're all gone. My body's gone. It's going to go in a box or someone's going to burn it up. I don't know. Do whatever you want. Cost effective. And then in the end, I'm gone. I'm in heaven. I'm not going to care about anything that happens here. Like, I mean, I love you guys, but when I'm in heaven. I'm just, I'm up there. We're, we're in it. We're just worshiping all the time. Worship all the time. I don't have to say, get your hands out of your pockets during worship. I'm not even looking behind me. I'm just up there. You know, just, whoo, that's it. That's all I'm doing. I'm just in it. I'm just going to fully be down. I don't know what I'm going to look like, but I'm just, I'm there. I'm there worshiping. It doesn't matter, right? In that moment, that, that's the extent of my, that's me dancing. You're like, why does Pastor Josh leave the wedding before the dancing occurs? Because this is all I got. It's some weird kind of squid motion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, we're off track, but it doesn't matter. The reality is that the world that we live in, one of the most comforting facts is it is profoundly temporary. This is not our home. The people who understand this the most are the people who have suffered the most. The, the world, though beautiful and creation is amazing, and I love to go hiking, it is not our home. It is profoundly broken. You will have a harder time finding somebody without childhood trauma than you would finding somebody with it. Like throw a rock and you can hit somebody with trauma, and you probably would have just caused them trauma. The reality is that the world is profoundly broken and it is full of sickness and evil and pain. As a world, we are shocked by sickness. We're like, I can't believe it. I can't believe there's pain. I can't believe there's evil. You know, I'm not surprised by Satan con or whatever it is. It's because I see evil happen all the time. They just call it something else. The world is broken. But... Jesus will return. And not only has he given us hope and healing today, and a rest from chaos and a rest from toil, he has given us a hope for the future. Revelation 21, in speaking of a new heaven and a new earth, says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. I just want to say, man, if you have suffered in here, I feel like God so clearly speaks to us through the Sabbath to take heart and rest in the fact that this world will pass away. And sometimes we need that rest to reconcile and understand this profoundly broken place. We need to remember that this is not our home. Like Israel in the wilderness, we need to stop and go, this is not what God created for us. But we can have a taste of it in this moment and in this space. We can have a taste of that rest. We can have a taste of that moment. But my last thing is, because I don't want us to give up on the earth entirely, like, well, it's all going to burn. <laughs> the Sabbath is not like everyone just stands still for a day. Just sit on your couch and don't move. The Sabbath is not like Father God freeze tag. Like, everyone stop. The Sabbath is very intentional. See, often a problem of Israel is that they participated in the practices of God for themselves while neglecting the heart of God for others. They especially neglected how God's heart is reflected in loving and hurting broken people in the world. And band, you can come up. As I'm going to say something that you probably were not expecting on a message of Sabbath. You probably were expecting me to say, everyone make sure you get a day off. Take that day. Take a rest day. Which I think is just a good practice in general. I do think it's great to have that day to stop in Sabbath. But I'm going to say something because when I see Jesus on the Sabbath, I don't see him on the couch. Look at where Jesus is on the Sabbath. Look at who he's with. He's engaged in something. 
He's engaged in something. He's doing something, right? He's not toiling or striving. He's not a part of chaos. He's not in a deep sense of work. But if, he, if he's always getting in trouble for the Sabbath, he must be doing something, right? What does the Sabbath teach us specifically through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? It teaches us to engage in the redemptive work of God. I know, you wanted me to say, take that day. And I get it. I like naps. I like TV. I like football. But here's what I'm going to say. The Sabbath teaches us to engage in the redemptive work of God. In Isaiah 58, I talked about Isaiah. God tells his people, you got all the practices down, but you're missing my heart. He says in Isaiah 58, 6, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And then he ends Isaiah 58. You can go read it for yourself. He says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Get yourselves right, is what he's saying. How? By honoring the Sabbath, by stopping from your toil and going like, are we actually living as God has directed us. See, to keep the Sabbath holy is not to be stagnant, but to be engaged with God in a taste of the fullness He created us for. He created us to steward His creation full of His presence. He invited His people to engage in His redemptive work in creation, to reflect a rest they had not fully experienced. And this was the work of Jesus. I told you to stay in Luke 6, so we're going back there. Luke 6, Jesus makes him mad on the Sabbath, and then the very next verse, in verse 6, he's making him mad on a different Sabbath. It says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, to the leaders, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or destroy it? And they're like, uh, uh, And he says, and after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. It says, but they, the leaders, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here's what blows my mind about this. Because the Pharisees would have to make one or two declarations based upon their fury. One, Jesus healed this guy. Didn't touch him. He just said things. And the guy was like, huh, right? Doesn't say he laid hands on him. Doesn't say he like rubbed mud on his hand and sent him down to the river. It doesn't say, you know, like took a dove and I don't know, something, right? Says he just said, okay, show me your hand. And he was like, yeah. All right. Profound moment. So they would either have to admit, if they say he's working, then they would have to say that he's supernatural. Or they have to say he didn't do it, in which case he's not working. But they're furious for the reason that he's violating this practice. But here what I see Jesus doing is he's taking someone, the right hand was a symbol of authority. They're taking someone with a shriveled, a shriveled hand, someone who's deformed, and God is releasing this deformity and bringing them in to the fold. Someone who would have felt like an outsider, who would have felt unclean. God is purifying, not only symbolically, physically, but spiritually in their heart. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm? What's the point of the Sabbath? 
Let me say this again. If this day was created to give a glimpse of eternal rest, is it not violated most when we ignore those whom God came to bring rest? And is it not most celebrated and made holy when we show the love of Christ to those who Christ came to love? Is that not the holiest thing we could do in the Sabbath? Is the, is the nap... You guys getting some directions. <laughs> is the nap the holiest? The naps are pretty holy. Or is it the true rest of being a part of the redemptive work of Christ? I say this to just say maybe God wants to stir your heart in thinking. That the Sabbath was not meant to trap man or regulations. It was to free man from chaos, darkness, toil, slavery, and debt. And that Jesus as the fulfillment, the bringer of the ultimate rest, invites us to not only receive rest from chaos and toil in him and the rest of a future, but to walk out that invitation from freedom and darkness and chaos and to lift others out of sickness and oppression and even death, to preach freedom from sin and slavery and the forgiveness of debt and sin, to say this is the year of the Lord's favor. His favor rests upon you. It's jubilee for you. There is freedom. To experience the rest of Jesus is to participate in his redemptive work. The Sabbath is not in our resting, it's not stagnant. In our resting, the Sabbath is not avoidant, it's not escaping. The Sabbath is us in our soul to release the chaos and toil of the world and to look at the souls of others who need it as well and say, God, may you use me and may I go. Because once you know the rest, you want to give the rest. And say, though we are not in Eden or in heaven, maybe we could have a taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's popping off outside, y'all. <laughs> Not today, Satan. I'm landing this plane for the altar call. <laughs> some, of you, some of you, you were going to get up. You were going to fill your water bottle. Now you feel guilty, so you'll finally be in an altar call that we've done for the first time in a year and a half that you've been here. So here's your moment. Would you stand with me this morning? I have two questions I want to ask you today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Two questions I want to ask today. The first is because I believe that the rest of Jesus Christ, that perfect rest that comes through him is for every person. And it doesn't matter how you came in here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't even matter your present in this moment. When I say it doesn't matter, I don't mean it's not important to your testimony. I mean it doesn't disqualify you from what God wants to do in your life. It does not disqualify you from the rest of Jesus Christ, from experiencing the peace that comes through him. Today, what qualifies you is that you are a child of God, deeply loved by him. So if you're here today and you've never experienced that year of jubilee, meaning that freedom from your sin and shame, and you have never experienced the rest in him, or it's been a long time since you've surrendered your heart to Christ and experienced the rest in him, and you're saying today, I want to rest in Jesus Christ, and I choose to follow him with my life. I wanna invite you, just lift your hand and put it back down. If you would say today, I wanna receive the rest that comes through Jesus Christ. And I wanna pray for you today. Jesus, you see the hearts and hands of those 
who say, I choose to follow you with my life. And I thank you today that if anyone is in you, they are a new creation, that you have come to give them rest from the chaos and rest from the toil and rest from fear and rest from anxiety. And you have come to bring them peace and true peace upon their life. And I thank you that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And like your word says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he is raised from the dead, that we have received salvation. And if anyone is in you, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so today there is hope and healing for every person in Jesus' name. The second thing today, that I believe God is calling us to pray for. And we fought through distractions and you got to this moment, you made it. But I feel like many of us have abandoned the Sabbath first in our heart and have become anxious and overwhelmed, have become slaves to anxiety, to toil, to proving, to earning. We often feel like we're not doing enough or good enough or making it. We feel the stress and the tension. And yet today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord longs for there to be peace upon your heart and your life to be free from all anxiety and worry. And before we enter into singing about Jesus, the cornerstone and declaring it over our life, if you're here this morning and say, man, I, not only do I want rest fully in my life, but I want to model that by engaging in the redemptive work of Christ. Can I tell you, the redemptive work of Christ must come out of a place of rest in your soul or else it will wear and beat you down and it will feel like you're working for God and not just with God. It has to come from a place of rest. It starts in your heart. It starts with what the Lord wants to do in your spirit. So if you're here today, and you're saying, man, I, I just want rest in this season. I need a Sabbath. Some of you, God's even speaking that you need to schedule time to stop. Maybe it is a whole day, a Sabbath day, where you stop and rest. Whatever it is, God is speaking to you today, and you're saying, man, I need rest. I want to leave rested. If you want to leave rested today, would you lift your hands with me? I want to pray over you. I'd be honored to pray with you this morning together. Yes, all in this room, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you the rest that comes through you. I thank you the rest that comes through salvation in you. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give peace to our hearts. And so, God, I pray for those right now who very specifically, God, you're working upon their spirit, telling them to stop and rest, to Shabbat, to cease, to take that time. God, that those who are here today who need to surrender that autonomy of their time and who need to take the day to rest and rest in you, God, that they would take that Holy Spirit, that you would affirm and support that initiative in their heart that you're stirring. God, for those who feel like they are in chaos and toil, God, I pray that they would lean into you, into your word, into worship, and in so doing right now in this moment, they would find the rest that comes from you, Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that as we rest in you, God, I pray that you would stir us to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that the work of this church would be birthed out of a place of rest, out of a place of security. And as we worship God, would you stir up your rest upon this place in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.